The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of the owner, staff, or management of this radio station. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, Psalm 19, verse 14. Good afternoon and good evening. Welcome to the Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I have the pleasure of your company for an hour this week while I offer homeschool insights and delights from our household, where God is always pleasant, present and pleasant, though sometimes hidden. England is proving to be a very jolly lesson in patience. Everything from the weather to a doctor's appointment and even the daily cycle on the washing machine leaves me chomping at the bit. I'm softly singing the Lord's song upon an alien soil, knowing it will all become a memory in God's time. How my brain loves to scamper. Summer was with us for a few days earlier this week. Lovely in the sun, fresh and breezy in the shade, very cool as night falls. I had to water some plants myself this week. Well, my blue-eyed cowboy did. The rhododendron were looking a little shabby. Each Friday, I entice a truly marvelous person to pop over and join me for part of the show. I offer intangibles like social media exposure because I can't hand around plates of sandwiches or pour cups of tea, and I would if I could. My fearless guests join me anyway to talk about aspects of family life, which usually relate to homeschooling and always speak straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child rearing above their highest joy. I'm thrilled today to have my friend Sarita Holtzman from Sunlight Curriculum join Joining me after the first break, I know you'll love what she's bringing along to share. Today, I'm mentioning the few rules I enforced in my homeschool abode, some trivia about the Essex folk, and shopping for summer wear. I've got my Earl Grey tea and a salted caramel bar to get me ready for a half at the local later, but first things first. Yes, I had to water my rhododendrons yesterday, or at least, as I said, my Texan needs to take the credit for that. The gardeners here were pruning and mulching the rose bushes, and I sent him out to ask if my bushes needed cutting back. They were playing dead. She took one look at them and said, they need water. Ooh, I thought, who'd have thunk? So buckets full of water were poured over them, and today they're looking bright and perky again and probably could do with another soaking. In celebration of the late spring-like summer days, Dorts and I took a quick spin along the high street and bought a few summer frocks. When I got mine home, because changing rooms don't come in multiples in these resale shops, so we were just pulling the dresses over our heads and modelling them over what we were wearing. Anyway, when I got home, I tried them on properly, and they were marvellous, all but one, which I'm taking back, a good excuse to have a second look around. And Dort said, but you've already tried them on. 
over my clothes. That doesn't count, I reminded her. Nevertheless, she just hung hers straight in her wardrobe. I'm keeping my fingers crossed it's not like rain after washing a car. I've not worn a coat for four days now, and I'm wondering, should I put them in the garage? Hmm. Just kidding, because it does get a little cool in the evenings when the sun drops. And while homeschooling, we're able to appreciate the glory of God's world. Aren't we fortunate? I spoke to my estate agent this week who was cooped up inside her office. Mind you, she does have picture windows that don't hide the fact that the sun's shining while she's stuck inside. And she overlooks the park, so at least she can see the prettiness she's missing. I said to her, oh, what a lovely day. It's a shame you have to spend it inside. When are you going on holiday? To which she simply replied, I have to be here, so I don't think about it. Maybe the view was making her surly. Anyway, I thank the Lord every day that I have never been under any obligation to stay indoors when I've wanted to be outside enjoying the weather, whether it's rain or shine, snow or wind. Even when the children were involved in organized indoor activity sports and stuff, I was free to roam the riverbeds in the park or enjoy the course of the air conditioning inside. It was while I was inside at the gym one brutally hot August afternoon, my second home during our gymnastics period, that I noticed how truly portable my children were. With four of them, I ran a pretty tight ship and didn't have the luxury of moving at anyone else's speed except my own, which sometimes verged on breakneck, causing my youngest son to complain one day while we were exploring emotions that he felt rushed. Now that he is married with a bride and a job and a baby raccoon and a house and two young birds looking to him for their upkeep and livelihood, he has put the lesson on wise use of time to good use. He moves fast to allow him the odd hour at the rock wall, climbing out his stress. We don't dilly-dally on the way as a family. And as a writer of, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says in chapter 3, for everything there is an appointed time, an appropriate time for every activity on earth. We all know how important leisure is to balance our work. And I hope I mentored that too to my children. This particular day, I was showing the value of taking a break while my oldest son was in his class. I was playing table tennis. The children were brandishing their bats. And after class, we would be able to move on to the next port of call so that the familiar evening routine at home could take place with its gentle wind down for the night. When the gymnastics class was over, my son appeared and I said to the three children who were running around chasing ping pong balls and occasionally getting to bat one across the table, come on, turn your bats in, we're off. And they all stopped what they were doing, put their bats away, packed up their bags, and we were homeward bound in moments. A mother who had been at the gym all afternoon with me sighed before saying, Oh, when it's time for me to leave, I have to give my children notice. Then they find reasons to stay for a few more minutes. Then they ask for drinks from the machine. It takes me about half an hour to get them in the van. I waved at her as I rushed past. I don't have 30 minutes to hang around waiting for my children to come with me on their time. Who does? Obviously, that lady did. We had a few rules in our house, so they were easy to abide by, and all of us had to follow them. None of this do as I say, not as I do lark. The first one was no calling names. Recently, we met a friend of Dord's, whom she thought very witty. The English accent was part of the charm, I'm sure. Plus, he was a handsome rascal. We didn't have much conversation with him because we were at a show, but what we did hear was full of name calling, which I won't 
won't repeat, but it was very disrespectful to my ears, funny to Dort's because she'd never heard the likes of it before, and quite typical of British humour. He passed disparaging comments about everyone that came in his line of vision. That was calling names, I told her later, and she nodded. It gets old after a while and is rude. And then she said, I began to wonder what he was saying about me to his friends behind my back. Exactly. Rule number two, no telling anyone else's news. This was a good one because they were excellent at stealing each other's thunder. And when lunchtime came around and their papa called from wherever he happened to be in the world, it stopped the angst of those whose turn was later because they knew their news would not be told first. This also encompassed tattling. I'm a fan of dealing with your own situations and not hiding behind mum and dad. Rule number three, no shouting through the house. Now, ours was a large house and the noise would have been unbearable if everyone yelled from where they happened to be. We had to find the person we wanted to talk to and speak in a quiet voice, face to face, making eye contact. This ensured that the message was given and received and it taught a social skill called politeness. Clearing the table, making beds and keeping possessions picked up came under the broader umbrella of le- of leaving a room the way you found it, which I suppose could be extended to the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What a beaut and sadly the hardest one to abide by even when they got older. The case of the wild man experiment springs to mind, but then we're over that. Of course, the main rule, which was the root was a commandment. Well, I never. Honour your father and your mother. Us. How aptly it covers the rest of the obedience issue. As parentals of the McNinney household, we found it hard to imagine our children disobeying us. Well, we have good imaginations, but it wouldn't have been a pretty sight. To start with, I'm a self-confessed control freak and a very organized one at that. I can only be a good Indian when my chief has my respect. Otherwise, I'm a chief or thoroughly disgruntled. Dortz has come across this in her job in Covent Garden. She's found her manager and a couple of the supervisors to be ineffectual. They don't know or enforce company policy and haven't a clue about handling conflict among the staff. When Dortz points out errors in the coffee-making process, she's called a bossy. She's decided the only way around this for her in the future with the company is to be a manager herself. And I think she's right. My husband's flexible and willing to do whatever is asked of him, which could set him up as a prime target for being taken advantage of, except he is a good steward of his time. Together, we've demonstrated a strong wall of unity when it comes to obedience. The rule of thumb in our house, and the one I recommend to all parents, potential, current, and the homeschooling ones, is to let it be known from the get-go, through actions or words, Who is in charge of this here house? I'm not talking about whether it's mum or dad. Remember, marriage and parenting is a partnership. What I mean is, are you the parents in charge or are they the children? This clears up any misunderstandings. When parents find out I homeschool and say, I could never teach my children they wouldn't listen to me, I consider my family dynamic. I don't care if, I was, if I'm not the most popular person on the block in my house. That isn't my job. If I want friends and people who liked and respected me, I need to look to my peers, not my offspring. When good-meaning folk gently pat me on my arm with a knowing, sympathetic look and tell me, you're a better person than I am because I wouldn't have the patience to teach my children, 
I know I don't always do everything graciously, but I have by being consistent and using positive reinforcement when I was calm enough to remember, managed to raise my children into young adults whom I enjoy spending time with voluntarily on a friendly basis. So there is time for that relationship too. We talked a little bit about it last week, about being friends with your children. At the early stage, you probably can't. When they get older, you probably will want to be. And it's time for me in just a moment to go on a short break. And thanks for joining me today. My guest, Sarita Holtzman from Sunlight Curriculum, will be here after these few messages. So don't stray too far and get yourself another drink. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrock. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Why is religion such a thorny issue in our society and the world? And why has religion often become a source to divide people rather than unite? Frank Talk with Dr. Ajaz is a forum for civil dialogue on religion and wellness on Toginet Radio. Dr. Ajaz Nakvi invites leaders and activists from all walks of life and faith to engage in a civil discussion on religion and current events. Join us for Frank Talk with Dr. Ajaz every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Central Standard Time right here on the Toginet Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. This afternoon, I have the pleasure of the company of Sarita Holtzman, who is no stranger to my show. She's been on several times during my broadcasting career and spoken about Sunlight Curriculum as the founder and president. She and her husband established Sunlight 20 years ago, and together they provide families across the globe with the rich resources they need to raise lifelong learners and um, who fervently pursue whatever God calls them to do. Sarita, welcome to my show today. 
Thank you so much for having me, and it's always, again, a huge privilege. And thank you for the nice intro. I wish you could well, write my copy you. for me. <laughs> oh, dear. It takes, sometimes it takes a while, you know, sort of. I'm really good with words. I love words. And just about all my show today is about words. So um, I'm so glad you're here. So how is life, Sarita? Life is good. Life is busy. And today, yes. life is hot. Uh, we're in Denver, and it's in the upper 90s. <laughs> oh, really? And how oh, is life well. with you? Life with me is wonderful. We're having summer this week. Um, it's been terrible. <laughs> it's been cold and rainy because I'm in England. Oh, no. And, um, oh, yeah. No. yeah, so this week we are, we are rejoicing because the sun has been out most of the week and we've been able to shed our winter clothes and put on some summer clothes. So that's been nice. Glory. Yes. Well, and do you have lots of children at home or are they pretty much established, you know, elsewhere? I have four children and they all live outside the home. Uh, yeah. when, we, when they all first moved out, my husband had uh, empty nest syndrome. I, I don't mm-hmm. think I ever did. I was just so glad that, you know, we try to prepare them all yeah. of life for when they'll leave because uh, you don't yeah. want them home forever. I don't think it's good for anyone. No, <laughs> I have four right. children. Uh, yeah. My oldest has uh, four boys, and she is currently expecting number five, which is very good news. Uh, my son and his wife uh, have no children, but they live about mm, 10 miles from us. Uh, my daughter and her husband have uh, two living girls. They have one that died a couple of years ago. That was very, very hard. And then my youngest is uh, still single and is uh, working as a sales representative for a company called Luke. Called what? Yeah, Fluke. Oh, Fluke. <laughs> they sell, um, yeah, high-tech uh, instruments for professional people like uh, engineers and that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Co- totally beyond our realm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. Well, Sarita, he has things, um, for example, that... Go ahead. Oh, you, you go ahead. No, I, I was going to say he has, for example, lasers that will measure the shape of a room without taking out a tape measure, that type of a thing. All right. And those are good because I've seen those in action and they're pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sarita, we're going to be talking about reading today. It's our favorite topic, of course, and Sunlight's major um, you know, sort of tool that you use for your curriculum. And I found that in this technical age, when children are doing most of their reading on screens, Sunlight still is a strong advocate of the real book. And I think you'll agree with me that nothing beats the feel of paper and pages and, you know, book covers. And while traveling on trains here in London, I always like to sneak a peek at what people are reading and perhaps mentally add it to my book list. But with the advent of Kindle, that knowledge is denied me. (laughs) So, Sarita, today you're going to be bringing us a special treat, a few selections from the 2013 summer reading list that you and your daughter have compiled for Sunlight. So, what do you have? Well, I, I have a few uh, titles that I've collected. Uh, what mm-hmm. we've tried to do is pick books for uh, category, categories of kids. And mm-hmm. I've got the first one here is from our lowest level kit for uh, just beginning readers or for moms that want to read to their children themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. We try to pick them with um, the idea that we want more gentle stories, stories that uh, won't be scary or give kids nightmares, try to cover uh, 
less heavy topics than we do in our upper grades. Uh, so the first one is from uh, The World According to Humphrey, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. a story written from the perspective of a hamster, which would not necessarily be my first choice, but it's charming. Uh, this mm-hmm. hamster happens to live within a classroom, and as he lives, he takes note of the different people that are in the classroom and makes uh, decisions thinking about them. Uh, mm-hmm. As as the class pet, he gets to go home every weekend to different families, and as he's there, he recognizes uh, different things that have come up in the classroom, and then he attempts to rectify them and help the kids move beyond whatever issues they might be having at home. Uh, so the first story deals with a little girl who never speaks up in class, and uh, he, he's always confused about that because he knows she's smart and he knows she's able, and we can all relate to that because we all know that we don't do things at times. So when he's home, he goes to this little girl's home, and he uh, and I'll, I'll read from here. Uh, they mm-hmm. went to the kitchen to eat dinner. Later, while the rest of the family watched television, Saya's mother quietly sat by my cage watching me. She seemed nice, nice, nice. Eventually, it was bedtime for the Narissa's family. But after the lights went out, Saya slipped out of her room and came back to my cage and whispered to me, I could understand her again. Now you know my secret, Humphrey, she whispered. My family doesn't speak English. Well, my dad does a little, but he's shy about it. Mom hasn't learned any English at all, and Derek's too little. I understand, I squeaked. That's why I don't like to talk in class, she explained. I don't talk like the other kids. I'm afraid they'll laugh at my accent. That happened to me when I was little. But you don't sound different, I frantically squeaked. I understand you just fine. Unfortunately, she didn't understand me. All she heard was squeak, squeak, squeak. I guess maybe I have an accent, too. (laughs) But I have an idea that maybe you could help me teach Mom English, Saya continued. Glad to help out if I can, I squeaked to her. You're a real friend, Saya replied. See, she understood me after all. The next day, I dozed until late afternoon when Saya led her mother back to my cage. Humphrey only understands English, Mama, Saya said. Speak English. Say, Humphrey. Saya's mom looked a little frightened, but she tried. Humphrey, she said. Hummy, Derek cried as he raced into the room and climbed into his mother's lap. Say hello, Humphrey, Saya gently instructed her mother. Hello, Humphrey, Mrs. Nassari said. I squeaked, hello, right back and she broke into a huge smile. Hello, she said. Good job, I said. Well, things went on swimmingly from then on. In a matter of hours, Saya's mom was saying, How do you do? Nice to meet you. Would you like some water? I did, thank you. And even when Saya and Derek left to go to the store with their father, Mrs. Nassari kept on talking. I let her know I understood what she was saying by wiggling my whiskers and hanging by one paw from the top of my cage. Good boy, Humphrey, she said. Saya and her father were amazed at Mrs. Nassari's progress when they returned. The family spent the rest of the evening practicing English. And then the story goes on with Saya, of course, speaking up in class, and Humphrey gets the satisfaction of knowing he's had an opportunity to introduce the entire family to branching out into the new world where they live. Mm. Oh, that's delightful. (laughs) And it's just one of the many stories when he speaks into the different families. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, because mm-hmm. we, we all have needs. We all have uh, chances to 
uh, improve our way in life. And if we can figure out how to help someone by coming alongside and saying, as Humphrey models for us, uh, we can move forward and help the people that we come in contact with. Okay, what do you have next? Oh, <laughs> you want me to go on? I could yes. be glad to. Uh, yeah, I think part of what I love about, well, one of the reasons we want to encourage kids to read books is because uh, educators uh, believe that kids lose a lot of ground because they don't read, they don't interact, they don't use their brains over the course of the summer. Uh, so we encourage kids to read because we think they can learn a lot of good things just as the kids can learn from Humphrey, how to understand that someone who looks different from us can be can still be a normal family, can still have things that look exactly like our family. They ate together, they talked with one another, they loved one another, even though they spoke a little differently. So we can introduce kids uh, to a different world and a different way of looking at things uh, very carefully and very gently through the stories that kids read. I think, too, kids learn in their development of language. And uh, reading, of course, is just one of those key indicators of even how we do how we do life. It's important mm-hmm. for us to um, uh, encourage our kids to read. And I'm with you. I love a book. I love uh, the flipping of the pages and to see how far I've come. And, and I don't think you mentioned the smell of a book, but the smell and the, the particularly yeah. a brand-new book just smells and That's the right. cracking of the paper and all those good qualities that come about. Yeah. I just think uh, reading is a marvelous opportunity to give to our kids. Yeah, yeah. Do you agree? <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. No, I, I totally agree. But I was just thinking of, um, you know, a lot of the loss on, on these, um, on the Kindles. And my son reads, he can read on his iPad and he can actually flick a page, you know, flip a page over yeah. on his iPad, but it's not quite the same. And as you say, you know, I say to him, what page are you on? He said, well, I'm reading it electronically, so it's not going to match up with the pages in the book. Right. Yeah. And I think, too, sometimes I lose track of books that I've loved in the past. I'm a big rereader of books. I go back and uh, reread some of my favorites. And a number of the books we have in our uh, summer reader programs are books that I read as a kid. <laughs> and okay. uh, they, they just were ones that I had read again and again. And to have a book on the shelf uh, facilitates being able to go down. I'm a big library user, too. We used to go and just check out tons of books. But there'd always be this gap in between times when you were between titles. So then I'd go back and pick up a book off of my shelf that I'd read again for the multiple times. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And one of those is um, the one. Go ahead. No, and one of those is tell us what. what Oh, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One of them I read was Trixie Belden and the Secret of the Mansion. And Trixie Belden's just an ordinary girl, uh, just like. We all were when we were growing up, and she has a new neighbor that moves in to the rich new house next door. And uh, she finds out that the girl who moves in is just a very lonely girl, and they become very, very good friends. And it's the first of a series of six mysteries. And I think mysteries are a good tool for kids to read because they teach us to discern. They teach us to reason out things, uh, to look for clues. There's just a lot of critical thinking that can happen as you read a mystery. Uh, and well, basically um, what happens is there's a... Sarita, oh, sorry? I'm sorry, I'm going to have to interrupt you just for a moment. We're going to go on a break, but you can pick up after the break and read us some more of that, um, read us some Great. of that. Okay? Great.
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Go Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Do holidays and celebrations get you down and leave you feeling frazzled? Then join Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Sandy will help you discover the secrets to having the celebrations you've always dreamed of while adding fun and meaning to your life. From Valentine's Day to Christmas to special family events, Sandy Fowler will show you how to put the fun and meaning back into those special days by taking a look at what we can do to turn the upcoming holidays into cherished memories and show us how to allow it to intertwine with everyday life. For more on the show, Sandy, and to receive Sandy's Holiday Happiness Booklet, go to HeartfilledHolidays.com. Then get set to discover the secrets to creating happy holidays and happy everydays by joining Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. All right, Sarita, just as we were going on a break, um, you were going to read us something from The Secret of the Mansion. Trixie Belden, was that the name of the author? Oh, that's that the name, the of, the name of the and it, uh, the particular reprint of it is even has the original drawings that I remember from when I read it back however many long years ago. <laughs> uh, it's the story of two girls, and they have a almost a haunted mansion in their neighborhood. Uh, it's just run down and beaten up, and uh, the yard is unkempt. And uh, as they look in the window, because the owner has been taken to the hospital, uh, they see a boy staying in there. And uh, that must be the face I saw this morning, honey whispered. Trixie looked at her blankly, the two girls. Uh, at least it wasn't a ghost, she giggled, but who in the world can he be? He must be about Brian's age, 15, don't you think? Honey nodded. I'm scared. Suppose he wakes up and finds us here. He might shoot us with that awful-looking gun. Uh, the girls uh, waited, and uh, the boy says, uh, "You have What are you doing here, the boy? He wakes up, and you have no business in this house. Trixie came out of her shock trance then. Neither have you, she said hotly. This place belongs to Mr. James Winthrop Frain, our neighbor. My father just took him to the hospital this morning. We were checking to make sure the doors and windows were locked, but you, she finished tartly, seemed to have moved right in. The boy got slowly to his feet, still clutching the gun. To the hospital, he repeated dazedly. Where and why? 
the sleepy side hospital, Trixie told him. He's got pneumonia and he's half starved, too. Not, she added, that it's any of your business, but the doctors don't think he'll get well. The boy's broad shoulders drooped disconsolately as he carefully laid the gun on the mattress at his heels. I thought he was dead, he said more to himself than to the girls. When I got here this morning and found the place deserted and filled with the junk, I figured Uncle James must have died a long time ago. Uncle James? Trixie and Honey stared at him wide-eyed. Was, is Mr. Frame your uncle? And it turns out, of course, that he is. And the mystery that the kids, the three children, try to solve is the fact that Uncle James has a half a million dollars hidden and James's stepfather wants to find it first and steal it from James. Uh, so there's the mystery and the tracking and the figuring out the clues and uh, all of the things that come together in a great mystery story. And uh, in the meantime, the kids become solidified and uh, learn from one another and uh, just figure out different challenges in life. I love a good mystery. I don't know about you. Oh, yes, I do. And what, what was this age group? This, um, this group is our middle school group where, uh, again, the kids are about that age, try to pick things that are going to be uh, written for uh, the same age level. They're dealing with mm-hmm. uh, issues of uh, a little bit stronger than the earlier set where the stories tend to be gentle and careful. Here you have uh, cruel stepfathers and you have people that would like to steal. Those are all uh, steps kind mm-hmm. of up in a progression of, you know, it's getting a little meaner in the world, but we still can overcome and we still win. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have another one? I do. Oh, <laughs> and this good. one is, is um, <laughs> uh, this is called About Average. And it's, the sto- and it's written by Andrew Clemens, who is one of those very gifted writers who writes for the uh, school group and tries to come at things from a uh, just a real uh, careful and he's very insightful in the things that are happening in the school, but tries to give kids tools on how to kind of overcome. Uh, I think he's kind of the modern day follower of Beverly Cleary, who also wrote uh, at uh-huh. that level. Uh, mm-hmm. The story is about a little girl named Jordan, and uh, she is as average as they come. She gets average grades, all C's. Uh, she's not particularly good at any sports. She plays in the orchestra. She's just kind of just a nice girl, but who's not very exciting. And the dream of her life is to one day stand on stage and have people applaud her and hand her roses because she would just do something extraordinary. But, of course, Mm -hmm. as a very ordinary person, uh, she still has gifts. She has things that she's good at, like all of us. And I think it's just a good story for all of us because we can all say, oh, I'm just ordinary. There's nothing exciting about me. And it's the story of an ordinary person who's really pretty extraordinary in the end, like we all have the opportunity to be. Uh, in the story, she deals uh, with, the story covers several different themes. Uh, one of them is bullying. Uh, and I think a well-written story does have multi-facets, multi-layers of things that are being dealt with within the story. Uh, she has a girl in her school that's just as mean as anything and uh, picks at Jordan. And Jordan isn't at all sure how to respond to her, because should she respond angrily or madly? And here's the quote from the book. And as Jordan kept looking at Marlia, this mean girl, it suddenly struck her that she was barely even seeing a person standing there, because to her, Marlia had become less and less like a person and more and more like one huge, ugly blob of bad memories. Boy, can't we all relate? And who kept going back over and over all those bad memories and hurt feelings? Me, myself, and I. 
At that moment, Jordan saw how Marlia was actually doing something pretty useful for her. Yes, doing it in a mean and nasty way, but it was still useful because Marlia was forcing her to face up to that impatient, mean, and nasty part of herself, that part that wanted to whip out a vaporizer and start blasting. Being nice to people would be so easy if the world were filled with Kayleys. Being nice to someone like Marlia was a whole other thing. Being nice to Marlia, was that even possible? The question hit Jordan like an electric current. Her heart actually began to pound. And the next thought lit her up even brighter. I should do that. Figuring out how to be genuinely nice to that girl, even if she got meaner and meaner and meaner, that would be pretty amazing. At the very least, it would mean taking niceness to some new level. Remember, she always thinks of herself as nice. It would require something way beyond your average everyday niceness because managing not to slug Marlia or not rip out her hair or not to turn her to the guidance office for bullying, that wasn't really being nice. That was just not doing something she wished she could most of the time. No, this new niceness was going to have to be made of steel industrial strength niceness, awesome niceness, award-winning niceness. But wouldn't this mean she'd have to forget about all those horrible things Marlia had been saying and doing all year long, truly forgive her? That thought dumped a bucket of ice water on everything. Jordan suddenly began to feel like the whole idea of being nice was dumb, like a crazy dream brought on by a fever, Maybe the only reason any of this had popped into her head was because it was so horribly hot today. But no matter how the idea had gotten into her mind, now it was definitely there. And all during the rest of gym class, she couldn't stop thinking about it. And she does go on, and she works on uh, speaking nicely to uh, Marlia. And surprisingly, it takes the wind out of Marlia's sails and does manage to change. And the neat thing about that is Jordan learns that she can be true to herself and still be nice and still uh, amplify all the good that she's in her life. So I think basically a good story can train us even in knowing how to live life more effectively, how to get along with even the more challenging people uh, that come up in our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, Sarita, as you're reading... Would you agree? Yes, no, I would, def- I would definitely agree with that. We have a little bit of a, um, a uh, delay, but as you were reading, I was thinking, you know, because our foundation is a Christian, solid Christian foundation, we can actually read a lot of Christian truths in what you've been reading and probably not even, they've not been written deliberately from that angle, but because of our worldview, right. we can actually, we can actually, um, you know, take the lesson that way from a lot of books that aren't necessarily written by Christian authors. Do you agree with that? I totally agree with that. And even someone who comes at things differently than when we do, we can actually use that as a tool to figure out exactly what we do want to do. Say we don't Mm -hmm. choose to do that. We can learn, and I think we can learn it pretty effectively without even having to live it. We can learn it through the experiences of someone in print, and figure out how to live life more effectively as we read uh, well-written stories that uh, gently can guide us in directions in the way we should go. Totally agree. Mm. 
Now, Sarita, before we go on our next break, I think we have time. If you have one more book to share with us, do you? I do, actually. Do you want just right. one more? Because I have several more. <laughs> okay, uh, this well, next one's from our upper... Go ahead. Go ahead, yes. Yeah, okay. The next one is from our upper uh, level group. Uh, mm-hmm. As we move up in stories, we try to pick them that deal with uh, stronger issues that come up. Uh, this is called Touch Blue by Cynthia Lord. Uh, she was uh, she won the Newbery Honor for a particular title. Uh, it's the story of a family that lives on an island, and the island has such a small population that when a family moves away, uh, because it's always tough to find enough income and things to do if you're a fisherman on an island, uh, they have to they consider actually closing the school, and all the families would have to move to the mainland. Well, the family that that family one of the families on the island loves where they live. Of course, it's a, a novel and unique place to live, and they would choose. They would prefer not to move to the, the mainland. They only need one more child. So they decide to take in a foster child to, to raise the numbers in their school. And it's the story of a foster boy coming to live in a place uh, that's very different than any place he's lived before. And, of course, he has the grieving and the desire to live with his mother, who's still alive but is very dysfunctional. Uh, at one point, uh, the girl in the story, the protagonist, uh, attempts to work it out so that the mom can actually meet the boy, meet her son, uh, at a concert that they're doing on the island. Uh, she does this uh, surreptitiously uh, because uh, she's not sure how it will be received. Uh, and the mom comes, and she's, she does it with a very particular plan in mind. Uh, she hopes that when the boy meets his mother, he'll recognize how good it is on the island and want to stay. So she's got an agenda that she's working through. And uh, I'll read from the place where... Um, uh, just after this has all come about, the mom has come. She's listened to the story. She's listened to the boy play. Uh, of course, hubbub has happened as a result of it. And uh, uh, she, she's telling her dad why she did what she did. Uh, Aaron wanted to run away. That's the uh, foster boy, I say, sniffing into my legs. I heard mom say that maybe if Aaron could see his mom, he'd give up the perfect idea he had of her. And then maybe he'd be happier to be with us. It worked that way in a book I read. I lifted my head just enough to look at him. Natalie, the caseworker's pretty upset, huh? Yep, Dad says. You've got an apology to make there. I nod. Will she take him away from us? I don't know. We don't get to decide that, Dad says. But we'll all go on, whatever happens. Sometimes you have to stop trying to control everything and let life happen the way it's supposed to, Tess, even if it's not exactly the way you wanted. I sigh. But what if it's not even a little like you wanted? Then you deal with it and keep going, Dad says. You and Aaron both have to let go of thinking, I can only be happy if, and find a way to carry your happiness inside you. We're all more than where we come from. With Bonnie Kitohata, Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Bonnie will share with you an hour of travel ideas, experiences, adventures, and tips from her guests. Topics range from local day trips to international excursions, from organized professional vacations to spur-of-the-moment getaways. For fun or business, groups or solo, by bus, car, plane, train, boat, bike, hike, or horse, you'll also hear about travel-related subjects like cultures, travel photography, keepsakes, and more. 
Whether you love to travel yourself or you enjoy seeing the world vicariously through others, join us and enjoy travel stories from around the U.S. and around the world. For more information on The Travel Chick Show, check out Bonnie's website, thetravelchick.com. Then join us for the show, The Travel Chick Show, live Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time with your host, Bonnie Kitohara, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Sarita, we got, um, you know, sort of cut off by the music just as you were finished that, finishing that little um, excerpt for us. So um, it was roundabout where you said, let life happen the way it's supposed to. So do you want to continue, please? I'd, I'd be glad to because I think Dad's advice is very good. And it's yes. one of those things that I love about books because we can learn uh, from the people who come inside of us. Dad's just saying, you know, we've got to find a way to keep our happiness inside of us. We're all more than where we come from, Tess. Put his arm around me. I'm not saying it wouldn't be hard to leave here, this great island, or if Aaron leaves us, but it wouldn't break you. You're stronger than that, whether you realize it or not. And I, uh, overhead, a flock of Canadian geese flies under the graying clouds. A damp breeze passes stirring the grass. I cuddle deeper into Dad's side. His shirt smells familiar and snug of and soap and another smell, just with no name, just a him smell. We'll never be all Aaron needs, but that's okay, Dad says. We're something to him. Uh, it's beautiful, and it's enough. As, uh, mm-hmm. I just think it's, uh, we can learn from uh, the things people say in stories and uh, grow and mature even as we glean from the wisdom and the insights we gain from other writers. Absolutely. And Sarita, um, I know that um, my listeners can go to your website, www.sunlight.com. Now, if they find a package of books, you know, a selection of books that they would like to buy, can they buy it without being Sunlight customers? Oh, absolutely. Yep, this mm-hmm. is wide open, and thank you for asking that. That's a good point. Uh, we carefully pick them for the different categories. We, uh, In our regular program, we don't divide by girls and boys. We just try to pick books that we think both sets will use. But for the summer readers, we've tried to pick them. So, for example, the boys' books will have some sports stories and uh, things that maybe some girls wouldn't be as interested in. Uh, But we've tried to pick things that we think kids would really like to read over the course of the summer. Right. Now, Sarita, for some parents, reading out loud may be a daunting prospect. However, they still want to introduce their children to the joy of books. What suggestions would you give to a parent who's a hesitant reader? Oh, that's a good question. I would have them read some of the easier stories. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes when we get into the older stories, there's tougher issues and some of the words are bigger and that might be a little more daunting. But I would pick um, Little House in the Prairie books, for example. The vocabulary is relatively simple. The concepts mm-hmm. are simple. The stories are compelling. Uh, mm-hmm. The goal would be that um, if you can at all try, if you can read aloud to your kids, there's so many bonds and uh, good things that happen when you take time and just read with your kids. Uh, if you're at all interested, please get our catalog. We've got just a list of stories we think you can read effectively with your children. Mm-hmm. And the memories that you build are just compelling and uh, precious. I, I can't tell you how many great mi- images I have in my mind of my husband reading on the couch with my kids and mm-hmm. the inheritance and the treasure that he's placed in his life by being willing to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have it at all as a desire, please, please do this as something that's so strategic and important for your family. Mm. I know when I first started reading out loud to my children, and I, you know, I can read out loud, I can sight read. Um, I was starting with the simpler books, you know, because they were just babies. And I thought, right. I am never going to be able to read a long book because I just didn't think I had the stamina, you know, because it, it wears you out. It is quite a, an yeah. active um, um, activity, I suppose. But I found that with the gentle build-up, you know, over the years, that I was able to read six and seven hundred page books to the children without thinking about it, you know. So right. you build up this stamina. Yep. yep. And I think you have to have a commitment to saying, I'm, I'm going to do this uh, because I want to invest in my children in this, in this very practical, uh, think of all the things they learned that treasures from dads in stories that maybe we wouldn't even necessarily think about passing to our children, but we can pass those on as we read them to our children. Uh, It's just an incredible gift that you can give. And I agree with you. Start with picture books. Uh, I think it just takes practice, you know, practice reading and knowing when to pause. and, uh, And that all just comes as you do it. I don't think there's any magical skill or you know, some people do it with the fancy voices, and that's great. But I think kids can follow the story if you just are willing to read it aloud with them. That's right. And my husband would make up things that he didn't read. He didn't just want to read everything that was on the page. He wanted to add stuff. Well, the children would remember from one reading <laughs> to the next what he had added in. And if he forgot that he'd added something in a particular place, oh, they told him. <laughs> Yeah, that's so. what I mean by those great memories. You know, just yes. think you couldn't pay, you couldn't pay to have somebody have that good of a memory with your children. No. What a, what a great right. uh, story! <laughs> that's right. Well, um, Sarita, we've come to the end of our time together, and I want to remind my listeners: please go onto Sunlight's website. They have the catalog there. You can get it for free. Is that right, Sarita? That is correct. Exactly, and it's and it's, full a, it's of a very books. good good resource. That's right. I love any lists of books. I love book lists. So, you know, this is just fabulous. And I've been talking to Sarita Holtzman, co-founder and president of Sunlight Curriculum. Today, Sarita shared with us some of the books from their summer reading program. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to her selections this afternoon. And we talked about books and how to encourage our children to love them. We heard how captivating the written word can be when Sarita read out loud. And um, she did such an awesome job of selecting the books that eventually end up 
on your kitchen table. And I know that she and her daughter, Janelle, had a lot of fun choosing these books for the summer. And as I said, to find out more about Sunlight Curriculum, go to their website. And Sarita, thank you so much for joining me again today. I enjoyed your selections and I loved listening to your beautiful voice reading. Have a wonderful and safe weekend. Thank you. And same to you. Thank you for letting, having me on. You're welcome. Bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Well, before I get any further into the show, I have to wish my eldest daughter many happy returns for Sunday. She'll be 24. 24 years ago, I was really excited to meet her. I had two boys, and it was about time for a girl. I even arrived at the hospital early for my scheduled C-section and was happily awaiting for my doctor to show up, and he overslept. First time in countless years, he said, so I had to wait a little bit longer, but it was all worth it. She was and still is absolutely beautiful. And she pointed out on Skype today that this is the third year in a row we've been in England for her birthday. Her dad, my handsome cowboy, was out on the Bee Gees World Tour during my pregnancy, but he came home for the joyful arrival five days before the event and five days afterwards. Whew, that was a long time ago. You're getting old, Paris. Anyway, pastors, have a great day on Sunday. Enjoy lunch with your brothers and don't get water in your Coke and don't open your package until Sunday, okay? And this show seems to be all about reading and words, both of which I am very fond of. We went to see a play at our little theatre around the corner called In Basildon by David Etheridge. And it wasn't until the characters started talking about Essex, which is where Dorts went to school last year, that I realised Basildon is a town where East Londoners moved as they made a bit of money. East London, in particular the East End, was synonymous with poverty, overcrowding, disease and criminality when I was growing up. Most people don't want to admit to hailing from those sweet boroughs and my father was one of those. He lived in Walthamstow when he was young, but as it looked as though World War II was about to start, my grandfather sold up. They had a big house packed his young family in the car. My dad was nine, his brother was a year old, and drove west just to get out of the city. And they fetched up in High Wycombe in Buckinghamshire, not Basildon in Essex. Um, But I don't think crime today is limited to just one area anymore. We've all noticed that there's a lot of drinking that goes on in London, and I believe I've talked about that before, always a forerunner of crime. And how they can afford to booze is beyond me. The cost of going down the pub is prohibitive. I have no idea how anyone can do it regularly. I worked out that when I was younger, a round of two drinks cost less than a pound. Today, it's £10, at least, and 10 times as much. So the cost of a £5 evening back in the day has risen to £50. Who can afford that with a mortgage or rent, train passes, parking fees, food and other essentials? And I'm not talking about once a week. Some of these people go out several times a week. Anyway, back to the play and the East Londoners who moved to Basildon, where the combination of the Texas dialect and the East London accent blended to give what Britons consider today to be the worst accent in Britain. And I wholly agree. It's terrible. You know, they drop their L's, so old becomes owed. They don't say their H's, so how old are you may sound like, how old ya? There's a lot of a leading going on, which means that they're slurring their, their um, consonants and their vowels and words. And it's just terrible. 
Um, they don't say correctly, they say correctly, for example. So how about supposedly and supposedly? Anyway, I'm just teasing, that's a Texas thing. But they understand each other, but they might as well be talking another language. Just watch the show Essex or on other th- in Other Thoughts or On Other Thoughts, maybe not. Still loving those words, though. And now that we can open our windows, I'm noticing a little flowering bush outside the lounge. And because the building's so quiet, we can hear the three or four bees buzzing as they collect their pollen. They work from sunup to sundown. It must be exhausting because I watch them flit from flower to flower hundreds of times since the bush is heavily laden with little purple blooms thanks to their hard work last year. The noise of the gentle hum of a bee is very English to me. And I saw a poor exhausted one lying dead on the pavement yesterday. My heart went out to it. Well, that's me for another week. Next Friday, I'm starting my series on traveling families who educate their children on the road or, as in the case of my guest next week, on the high China seas. Beyond Gifford and her family recorded their experiences with me and you can hear them next week, same time, same place, Friday at noon in Texas or 6 p.m. here in merry old England. And I'm off to the noodle shop tonight for dinner. We all fancied a bit of Japanese cuisine for a change and hopefully the sun will come out again as I have a couple of people looking over the flat tomorrow. Happy birthday on Sunday, Paris. Remember, a museum go-round is not a merry-go-round. That's one of those little things that we used to say in a particular book, and I have no idea where it started, but every time we read that same book, when we got to a certain page, and they talked about going on a merry-go-round, we always said, a museum go-round is not a merry-go-round. Anyway... Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest this week, Sarita Holtzman, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Kathy, Dorothea, Rosemary, Kathleen, Jane, Olivia, Esme, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Take care and be safe. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Doop, doop, doop. Doop, Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney 